0: I, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 139, about the middle of, middle of the Bible, Psalm 139. Uh, we have finished for our time the series that we've been uh, walking through in Matthew's Gospel. We'll pick up and finish uh, with the, the, the Matthew's Gospel account later. Uh, but we're going to do uh, for a, a couple of weeks or a few weeks do some Psalms. And this morning, we're turning to a very familiar psalm to many of us, I might say most of us here. Uh, I want to start this morning with a question for us. With the billions of people that live upon this earth, the estimates are close to 8 billion people, more than we can Think of, imagine in our minds. All these people, all their, their problems and issues and things that need attention. Does God think at all about you? Do you think that you're important to God? Or does He really just have too much stuff going on to trouble Himself with, with you? One single person. As we open up to Psalm 139, we're going we're to answer that question. We're going to talk about something that's really important to us, uh, something that we really need to understand uh, so that it becomes a part of our outlook more and more as we, as we live our, our days. And it's this, that God is intimately involved in your life. Uh, He knows you individually, personally, intimately, deeply. Now, that's something that you may know, you may be able to articulate that. But a question, do you really believe it? And therefore, does it affect the way that you live your life? Does it affect the way that you pray to Him? The way that you interact with Him? the reason I say that is because if you do believe it, then it will hold out for you the greatest of comfort. Uh, That the God of the universe, who is everything that we've been talking about, if you've been in the the, uh, family Sunday school class as we've gone through the confession, talked about God, uh, everything there is true. That He is immense, that He is eternal, uh, without beginning or end. That He is infinite that He is unchangeable, all of that is true and, and He knows and loves and and cares for us individually as those who are His. We're going to see this this morning from a prayer. That's what Psalm 139 is, a, a prayer. It's very familiar. Like I said to many of us here, it's One of David's intensely personal prayers. And I want us to think as we go through this psalm, uh, to think about who this says that God really is, not just somewhere out there, but who God is to me personally. And to think about how this should therefore permeate uh, my thoughts in the way that I live my life. Daily. Let me just mention right at the beginning, before we read Psalm 139, that uh, right there in the first verse, it gives the theme of the psalm. Uh, and then it's it's kind of expounded upon in verses 2 through 6. And really it echoes throughout the rest of the psalm. But right there you've got the, the theme. So keep that in mind uh, as we read this and then as we open it up. So Psalm and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God! O oh, men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Please join me in prayer. Oh God, what what comfort we are able to have from you at your hand when, when we see you for who you truly are and we see ourselves in a right way if we are those in relationship with You. And so I pray this morning that You will open our eyes to be able to, to see these truths, the eyes of our hearts, uh, that we might see and, and know these things in a, in a greater way. Uh, give us discernment. Give us understanding that we, that we need. Uh, we pray this by the Lord Jesus. Uh, in His name, Amen. What does it mean to be known? What does it mean for our lives to be opened up so that we are known by another? You know, it's, it's estimated that today there are almost one billion closed-circuit TV cameras in China. All of them owned and operated by the Communist Party. All of them networked together so that as a person travels about from one place to another, really regardless of the, the type of transportation, that facial recognition and other means of tracking people are used so that they can, they can track where they go, what they do, uh, who they might meet with. And then that data is combined with other sources to provide a more complete picture Uh, Perhaps not a perfect picture at this point, but technology increases. You know, a few years ago, a friend of our family uh, who is Chinese, he was here in the States, I've mentioned him before, he was seeking political asylum, but in China he was a university professor. And he told me that in his classrooms in the university that the Communist Party had embedded informants you didn't know who they were. They were just like the rest of the students there. But they would report back on the things that, uh, that, that were sought. Uh, and so, of course, if in his classroom he said anything about the Bible, even though he was teaching English literature uh, or about Christ, that would be reported. Uh, and, of course, every, almost every person having a, a phone uh, have apps on them that uh, would report communications. And so all of this being put together into to one picture. And so what does it look like to be known? Well, in China, a person is known by the state. It's kind of like having a, a light shown into every corner of your, your life and so that it's laid out. that it can be seen, nothing remains hidden. Now think about that for a moment what would that be like to live under that kind of scrutiny, that kind of constant monitoring in which the state big brother uh, knows your, not only your whereabouts, but what you're doing, what you're saying Uh, what would you think about being known in that way now, generally, our answer to that is, no way. <laughs> I don't want that kind of invasion. Uh, I don't want that kind of uh, elimination of my privacy. Uh, I don't want that coming into my autonomy. Just think about how uh, ha- how our lives, if lived like that as an open book before others that might take that information and do with it whatever they want, what that would be like It would probably make each one of us here unsettled, to say the least. Yet this psalm that we just read speaks of one who knows us far more intimately, and if you will, far more invasively than that. And that's exactly what we hear David acknowledge in the the very first verse of, of this prayer and it's drawn out in the next few verses as he says, O oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. No, imagine a searchlight that shines into not only on the outside but shines into your heart and reveals what's there, the thoughts and, and, and all else that is there and exposes it. And yet here, the answer to that question What does it mean to be known is completely different from someone who doesn't want to be known. From someone who fears being found out. What we see as we go through David's prayer uh, is that God's intimate knowledge of him is exactly what he desires. It's not at all an intrusion. It's not at all an invasion. But it is something that fills him with awe and with comfort and with peace. And ultimately, it drives him, as we see here, to praise God. You know, to be known. When there's a searchlight that shines upon our lives and into our hearts, it can, it can engender fear within us. Why? Because it exposes our sin. It exposes our impure motives. Uh, it, 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 it exposes those things that we might have a desire to hide otherwise. But here's the difference. When you know that you're in Christ, when you know that you belong, as we read earlier, body and soul, in life and death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is completely different. Because then we begin to desire intimacy. Uh, We begin to desire to be known by God. All of a sudden, God's all-consuming knowledge that we call the big word is omniscience. His omniscience, it becomes a great source of comfort. We begin to see, like David, that there's nothing that's beyond God. There's nothing that escapes God. And it leads us to this great sense of awe and a heart for worship before Him and a great sense of comfort. And notice, uh, as we read these words, and let me just read a few that expound upon that. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together, you hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. It's almost like a, a father with a son who, who is fearful about what lies ahead and doesn't know, but behind him he feels the hand of his father on his back leading him and guiding him and giving him those words. It's alright. I've got your back. That's the sense of what we see here in And notice, this is not a God whose attention is out there. But it's a God whose attention is right here. David is saying, this is the God who knows me intimately. And so all David can do is exclaim, and we see it in verse 6. He doesn't understand it all, nor does he need to. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. It's an exclamation of awe at this God, His God. And so the main idea in the psalm is exactly that, that God knows me intimately. And we're going to see that expressed in, in, in three ways as we continue through this prayer. And I'm going to break it out. Uh, it's It's kind of in a set of verses. So first of all, in verses 7 through 12, we're going to see uh, that this is God, a God who is with me closely. God is with me closely. And verses 13 through 18, God formed me intricately. And then verses 19 through 24, God defends me personally. So He's a God. And and he knows me intimately, and we see this as we recognize that God is with me, first of all, closely, that God formed me intricately, and that God defends me personally. And so, first, beginning with verse seven, God is with me closely. These are words that are all about the presence of God. You know, I, I know that God is all knowing because He's everywhere. That I am, or I have been, or I ever will be. Uh, you know, David is is reiterating in his prayer here that, that, that God is intimately involved in every aspect of his life. He, he must be. Because there's nowhere, David says, that he can go, possibly, where God is not. And so he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Now, this is not David wanting to flee from God. But he's continuing to express here the immensity of God. How big God is. You know, whenever we want to get away from someone, there's always a place to go, isn't there? Uh, You might hear someone say, you know what, I can handle it, or I can handle them, for three days. And this may even be a close relationship, but I can handle it for three days. That's my limit. Uh, Now that's That's hypothetical, of course. But what somebody's saying who is saying that is saying, after that point, I need a little bit of separation. I'm going to go to my place over here and then I can come back and I can can be together again. But where do you go from God? The answer is clearly nowhere. It's impossible. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol... You are there. He, he's going from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. Uh, and he says He is ever-present. He's there no matter what. And then verse 9, he says, I can therefore not only height, highest of heights, lowest of lows, but go to the extent as far out as I can go if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You know, right here. David says again why this matters. And it's because we will always have God's undivided attention. Always. He he, he's there, he's fully present in all places, at all times. He's always there to lead us. He's always there to hold us. You know, that's not like us. We carry our feelings with us, don't we? One day we're up, and the next day we're down. Uh, maybe it's one moment we're up, the next we're down, but this is not God. He's always there for us. He's always ready to, 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 to provide us with the hand that we need, with the direction that we need. You know, What a great comfort this must be to a believer. Although I will say, it's not at, all uncom- not at all comforting to the unbeliever. Why? Because there is no escape from God. Even hell itself is not an escape from God. Uh, he may not be there in His benevolence, in His goodness, but His wrath is ever present there. But to the believer... Even the cover of darkness is not dark. When He is there, it is light itself. He is always there to bring comfort. You know, we've got a a movie in our family from way back, uh, as we all may have. You know, old movies that that when you look at them, they they bring a smile to your face. Well, in this uh, movie, it it shows May She was two years old, I think at the time, or or thereabouts, and and there's a big smile on her face as she's pushing one of those uh, uh, baby doll strollers uh, down the driveway, but she was kind of leaning on the stroller to to keep herself up, And, and she had this big smile on her face, and then all of a sudden, something happens, and she goes, boom, face to the concrete, and then you can see as tears begin to form on her face and, and the cry begins to, to come out and, and, and it's as if the whole world has betrayed her that immediately Callie enters into the picture. And Callie's not much older than Maymay, really, at this point. But Callie comes in and gives her a, a big hug and, and tells her and affirms that it's okay, it's all right, and she's comforted. You think about it, that's what we need, isn't it? Always. Immediately. To have someone to run to who we can count on. And we've got that here. And that's what David is expressing. You know, if we are honest about it, we continually face anxiety and tension in our lives. And it's always there. Yesterday, those of us that were at the Presbytery meeting heard that out of another psalm uh, that was preached to us about our anxiety is always It's always there why, uh, or it can be, because right around the corner, we're liable to fall flat on our faces in the same way. You know, it may be uh, due to a fall into sin. It may be due to experiencing pain in some way, physical pain, emotional pain, contempt from someone else, uh, loss. But that's the world that we live in, isn't it? but it creates anxiety as we live our days. But what if you knew that it doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter what you do, but God is always there to come and to grab hold and to embrace and to lift you up and to set your vision right again. Uh, He's always there so that in that moment that you fall, you're picked up. That He's present with you. He's, he's holding you. He's leading you. Well, that is the God that David is praying to. And that's the God that we are able to look to and to see uh, as well. So He's with me closely. Secondly, God formed me intricately. And I'll just say these next few verses, beginning with verse 13... Are some, I I believe, they're some of the most powerful and most compelling words in Scripture. Now, we also often use them to speak about the horror of abortion, but not only because they speak about a birth in the womb, but also because they make such a clear case for the beauty and value and purpose of life itself as each one is individually and intricately crafted by the hand of God. So as I read a couple of these words, think about how personal and how intimate God's knowledge of you is. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from You when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Think for a moment how personal this is. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. You know, right there, uh, David is, is talking about us that we are valuable to God, that we are made intricately, that we are made in an amazing way, so much that it brings Him to an exclamation of of praise. You know, it's hard to read these words and remain in a place of darkness, in a place of self-loathing. If God loves me in this way, and loves what He has created, who am I to devalue His creation? And then this leads us beyond God's creation, doesn't it? Because it goes on to to point out that He created us with a destiny. He created us with purpose. Look down at verse 16. Your eyes saw My unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for Me, when as yet there were none of them. David is saying here that his life was predetermined. That His name was written in the book of life. That, each of, his, that the, each of His days, the days of His life, were numbered by God beforehand. You know, if you pray this in your prayer, you're saying, I know my value to God because He has created me with a purpose. He's created me to belong to Him. You know, Isaiah 43, uh, beginning in verse 1, kind of captures this because it has both His creation of us and His writing our name in the book. Uh, but now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Consider those words. That's what David is talking about here. You are Mine. You know, for all those who have trusted in Christ, belong to Christ, God has done a double work. He's created you intricately in an amazing way, but that was not enough. You had to be recreated, reformed, redeemed. You've been made by Him, and you belong to Him twice over. You know, there's something special. I think, in our lives about items that have, been, that have been created where we know the one that has created them. Uh, we treat them differently. We may throw out volumes of stuff, uh, but so often, as I find in our boxes at home, you know, we, we, we save the ornament that was created by the, the four-year-old in our family. Uh, or we save that card, the Mother's Day card, the Father's Day card, that was made by hand for us. You know, and if these material items are of value to us, how much more should we take joy at the God who is concerned about us and, and has shown that concern by forming us intimately and by writing our names in His book? He is the one who has planned our our end from the beginning, giving us purpose and meaning. And so, God is with me closely. God has formed me intimately, and then finally, in David's prayer, uh, we can say, and "This is." You'll find this in verse verses nineteen through twenty-four. And I'll just I'll just note before I go there about David's uh, exclamation just before that: "How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast." Is the sum of them, if I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and am still with you and then David goes to talk about how God defends him personally, you know part of part of intimately god's intimate knowing who we are and that 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 we are his own is to know that. His enemies are our enemies. And that the Lord will ultimately, ultimately pour out His wrath upon those who are His enemies. Uh, he will not ultimately allow them to stand. Uh, look at the, at the confidence and the boldness with which David speaks about his enemies. And, and it's obvious here that, that they, that the wicked, have caused him great anguish. And great sadness. And uh, you can go through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and you you can see in David's life how this has been true. Those who have stood against the Lord and have stood against David and have uh, created great anguish for Him. Uh, But look at what he says, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, men of blood, depart from Me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, just note here that you know we are told, love your enemies. Uh, love those who stand against you. Yet ultimately, what we're seeing here is those who continue on, continue on standing against the Lord with their arm out, uh, not wanting to turn to Him, not wanting to hear His promises, uh, but continuing on in this way until they will finally end up here. And and this is the sense of of David's heart. uh, And it may not just be about personal enemies, people, but also the spiritual enemies that we have to deal with. They are, in a sense, one and the same. And so we'd ask the question, how is David able to speak here with such confidence and boldness? Well, there's a a key here when it comes to David's enemies and God's enemies. That we see clearly that they they are one and the same. That David's heart has been changed such that it's aligned with God's heart so that David now wants the things that God wants and those who stand against the Lord bring anguish to David's heart remember uh, we see this actually in in the book of Acts uh, spoken about but that David was a man after God's own heart this is what it means to be a, a man or a woman after God's own heart. And it doesn't happen all at once just like that. We can see that in David's life. But it's a heart that's become inclined to God. It's a heart that's aligned with God's. and has been changed by God such that more and more the things of God are beautiful and the things that stand against God. That's the ugliness. Because that's sin and that's those who are in rebellion against God. And so that's the key here with David, that he, he's, he's come to that point where in this intimate relationship with God, that he is one with God in his desires, in his will, and his wants. Now think for a moment about the security and the well-being, especially in the midst of danger that comes from this Because it means that David can rely fully upon the Lord for His protection. doesn't mean that David knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He, just like us, can fall flat on his face, uh, can be faced with uh, the the most challenging situation, uh, yet at the same time, he can know more and more that God's enemies are His enemies. You know, part of what we see uh, countries doing today on the international scene. Uh, we've especially seen it recently with the war that's going on. is Are, are those who want to align with other countries? And I'll, I'll, I'll speak especially about a small country. Think of Luxembourg, tiny. Or think about Iceland, which doesn't have an army. Uh, almost no military might. Yet as soon as Iceland aligns itself, which it has in NATO, with the United States, which has great military might, great power. What's the result? Imagine what that means to them. That any, anyone that might invade them has to face the, the, the military might of the big powers, the United States and the rest of NATO. Now think about the security that that provides. Because of that alignment, they're able to know that their defenses are vast. And it has to affect the way that they, they conduct life and speak and project themselves. Well, this is the comfort that we can have when we're aligned with the Lord. Who has the greatest might of any that's out there? Who do we know that has already achieved in essence, victory over His enemies. Who do we know that's over all things? And we even use that, the, the, those words that He is all-powerful. It is the Lord God. And David knows that as he prays to Him. And so he knows that the Lord's victories are His victories. And so he can continue forward day after day with that great sense of security. So you can see all the way through uh, that God's presence with us means, it's a statement of that intimacy with which He knows us. It means that there's great comfort there. It means that we are able, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we are able to know His comfort. Uh, also, uh, that, that God has cared about us. He has formed us intimately. He has written our names in the book of life. And therefore, we are able to go through life with this great sense of He as our Father and we as His child. We are cared for. We are watched over. And then finally, uh, that even with uh, the the greatest challenges that we face, those who may may be against us, uh, the spiritual powers that we face in this world, that God defends us Personally, that we are His, we belong to Him. Look at kind of the result from that. Just look at, and we'll finish with this, verses 23 and 24. David began by saying, you have searched me and known me. And look at how he ends. Now he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, And lead me in the way everlasting. This is an invitation, isn't it? David is still sinful. And so this is an invitation by David. Come into my life, Lord. See what you find. And no matter what it takes me through, no matter what I have to face, do that work inside of me. Heal me. Make me more like, and we can say today, make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that needs to become our desire. And really, as we come to the table this morning, that's exactly what we're, we're doing. We're, we're opening up our hearts. We're saying, I, I remember, I'm reminded, Lord, of who You are and what You have done of the Lord Jesus and the relationship that I am in. And now, out of that, I know that I am Yours. And I know that that work that You once began in me, begun in me, that You will continue that work until it is complete. And so as we come to the table this morning, uh, we come to a place of great comfort uh, and to a place in which we are reminded about who He is and about who we are in Him. Uh, Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for that that comfort that we are able to have. Thank You, Lord, that uh, we are able to open up to Psalm 139 and and to pray that prayer as if it is our prayer. At the same time, Lord, we acknowledge that we need Your help. That we are those who don't always see things in that way. We don't always understand uh, that which we have when we belong to You. Uh, We have many things in our lives that cause us to doubt and to go in another direction. And so we pray for your help. to Help us to take these words in, to know them, to make them ours, and to know that this is the relationship with you that we are able to have. And we do pray for your help in Jesus' name.